Brian Burrell tells of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis, who was arrested in 1992 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Curtis apparently had principles about his thievery. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper on which was written the following code. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. I will rob only at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. I will not rob mini-marts or 7-Eleven stores. If I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. I will rob only seven months out of the year. I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Well, it's nice to find that there's a thief with a bit of morality in them, but uh, <laughs> you all know that's a bit corrupted morality. A lot of people, though, form their own morality. They form their own codes and they live by them and they are faithfully living by them, but the codes are wrong. The thing that they're living toward is, is incorrect. As we look in uh, Numbers chapter 31 today, two weeks ago we took up Numbers chapter 25. And last week we said we took a break from that just to bring our, our kids that were in here last week. We wanted to go over some, some things in the faithfulness principle that picked up where they had left off. But here we're picking up on this section again, looking at, at judging that God very many times judged people and He used other people to judge them. And we want to look at what's, what responsibility came upon those. What did it tell us about those being judged? What did it tell us about those who were unjudged? Because we come up with some wrong conclusions. Sometimes we see some things go on in life, in, in the world around us, and we come up with conclusions based upon God judging this or judging faithfulness and such things like that. So we started looking at that two weeks ago. We're going to pick that up again here today. We have a number of stories to help us out with this. We've got to understand how God views faithfulness. Because the Word of God told us when we looked that way in the beginning that many people consider themselves to be faithful, but God says that they are rare. So if they are rare, faithful people are rare, we need to find out what makes up those faithful people and become more like them. And not just the way we want to be. We've also looked at the principle that most people are faithful to themselves. They are faithful to themselves. Themselves first, God second, maybe God third, somewhere in there, somewhere in there God fits in. But most people are faithful first off to themselves. They're not faithful to God first off. They're not faithful to His cause. If we want to become faithful in the eyes of God, we've got to learn how to become faithful to Him and to His cause, number one, above all. Too often people get offended. If people get offended and react and respond in a certain way, that tells you that first off, they weren't committed to God first, first and foremost or to His cause. They were committed to themselves. And something happened to them. I was jilted. I was forgotten, I was overlooked, I was made fun of, I was picked on, whatever it was, and they changed their faithfulness based on it. They weren't faithful to the things of God because of it, and they, you know, God told them to get a certain thing done, God told them to do something, and they stopped doing it because so-and-so did this, or because so-and-so said that. So we need to understand these things, these principles of faithfulness. We're going to be over in Numbers chapter 31. This is really the second half of the story we looked at in Numbers chapter 25. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. The story we looked at in chapter 25 was when uh, the 22, 23, and 24, Balaam and Balak, all that story had come up. And Balaam and Balak were trying to curse the Israelites. And that didn't work. And so Balaam came up with some counsel that he gave to the king Balak. And he said, if you'll do this, you can bring them into a curse. And you won't have to do anything. God will take care of them for you. And so he counseled them to send the women on over and to entice them into sin. And they did. And it worked. And in chapter 25, we picked it up where Phineas saw some of the unfaithfulness that was going on and the sin. And he grabbed a spear and ran two of them right through. And stopped the plague because of his, his uh, diligence to the things of God. But a plague had started out and we saw that quite a few people, I think it was 14,700, had died in a very short period of time. And the people were wailing and moaning and, and uh, lamenting the loss of those who died. This is the part that comes next. God takes vengeance. Now, I can't exactly tell you how long transpired between chapter 25 and chapter 20 uh, or ch- chapter 31. It seems to be a, a decent amount of time, but I really can't tell you exactly how much. I've tried to do a little bit of looking up on it to, to see, but it seems that the part with Midian was many years before. This one is towards the end of the 40 years because Moses is given the commission. This is it. This is your, this is your last stand. After this, you're coming home. Aaron has already died. He's already gone, gone on. And Joshua has already been recommissioned or commissioned to take over the leadership role. But he says in verse 2, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Vengeance belongs to who? Vengeance belongs to God. Vengeance is God until He says different. Just remember that. Don't go out there and say, well, I think it's just like it was in Numbers 31, chapter 2, where God told me to take vengeance on them. <laughs> you better make sure it's God telling you. So he tells Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterwards, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. Now he says this, arm some. What does that tell you? Not everybody's going. He's only arming some. He doesn't say what percentage they are, but we're, we're thinking that Israel is somewhere in the area two to three million people at this, this uh, stage of the game. And he t- says, this is how much we're going to take it. Verse four. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. If you're going to take a thousand from each tribe, how many are going? Twelve thousand. Now some of you might try and do some of that funny math. And, and wonder, well, what about Levi? I mean, should they be sending the warriors? They really don't have, they don't usually send them out. And probably Levi didn't send any, anyone out into the battle. But Ephraim and Manasseh were kind of counted as half tribes and they kind of made up for it. So you still get 12. And we find out later on, he just comes out there and says 12,000 went. 12,000 went up against Midian. If you are of the children of Israel, how many of you would question this? Why not take them all? Why would you want to just take some? Now, even if Midian didn't have as many people as Israel did and they didn't need to take everybody, why not? How many of y'all are hockey fans? Anybody watch hockey? Cover you folks. In, in hockey, there you go. In hockey, they have what they call a power play. Where if somebody was bad on the ice, that they would have uh, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes penalties that they would hand out. 
And so you're given a two-minute penalty. And you can have no more than two guys sitting in the penalty box at the same time. Because they would have give you no more than a two-man advantage in hockey. So at best, you could skate maybe five on three or, or things of that nature. And can you imagine if one of those teams said, well, we don't think that's fair. We'd rather not play five on three since they have three guys or two guys in the penalty box. We'll put two of ours in too. Would they do that? If you're going out there playing basketball, how many of y'all watched Villanova yesterday? I like, I don't much, much college basketball, but got to cheer for the home team anyway. So, and Villanova's out there. What if Villanova says, look, we're beating you guys up pretty much here. What if we just put three guys out instead of our five and we'll play five on three for the rest of the time? I don't think that they would do that. We don't normally put ourselves in outnumbered positions. That's not normal. We like to, if we're going to be outnumbered, I'd rather be on the side that has more. Right? So why would they set up a battle in which they are outnumbered? Why would God set up a battle in which they are outnumbered? And if you were one of the 12,000 or one of the folks picked to go on, how many of you are saying, ah, mm, not sure. Not sure about this. Now, before we know, we already looked at the story we, uh, over in uh, Judges and Gideon had too many. And we know why God took them down because they would have said by our own might. But this is a different group of Israelites and we don't see that same thing coming from them. So we're not real sure why it is, but God says a thousand from each one. All right, so only 12,000 are going into battle. We're going to take vengeance on them. Only 12,000 are going in. Well, maybe God doesn't want a huge victory. He just wants to kind of slap them on the wrist. How about you think that? A thousand from each tribe, verse 4, of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to war. 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar. Eleazar is still the high priest. Phinehas is his son. The priest with the holy articles and the signaled trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses and they killed all the males. Does that sound like a slap on the wrist? He wiped them out. Killed all the males. Apparently, we are, we are not told what it is that Moses was commanded by God. And we are not told what Moses told them to do. But apparently, something was said from God to Moses. And Moses, in turn, said it from God to them. Because they knew what to do. And they get out there and they killed all the males. And they did what God had said to do. Now, in this situation, is God judging between, is, is God judging the Midianites? Seems like he's doing that, wiping out all the males. What do we leave off at? Six. And they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Evi, well, here we just list all the names of the king. We don't have to go through all those. Verse nine. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took a spoil all their cattle, all the flocks and all their goods. And they are under the impression, apparently, that they were to kill all the males. And then, back then, they didn't have uh, armies you know, made up of men and women. They had armies made up of men. And so the men were the ones coming out into battle. And so those are the ones they did battle with. Those are the ones they killed. The wives stayed at home. And they let them live. They didn't go in there and kill them. How many of you would have a hard time going into villages and stuff like that? And if God said, kill everybody, just kill them all out. 
That would be kind of tough. God did say that at times. They killed the kings. They took the, the woman captive. They took captive all the spoil, all the cattle, all the flocks and all the goods. They also burned with fire all the cities that they dwelled in and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. So they brought back a lot of stuff. All the stuff the Midianites had is now theirs. All the women, all the children are coming back with them. Then they brought the captives, the booty, and the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp of the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the elders, all the leaders of the congregation, went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over a thousand, and the captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? See, Moses said something. We don't know what he said. But he wouldn't be angry with them unless he had told them to do something and they came back and didn't do it. Now, I don't really think, I don't get the, the, the attitude from this chapter in Scripture that they did it intentionally. Saul, when he brought back all the captives and he brought back all the all the stuff he brought back, did it intentionally. He deliberately disobeyed God and brought back all the stuff and God judged him right then because of his heart. But I don't think these folks did. I think they either genuinely misunderstood whatever Moses had said or when they got there said, well, we must have misunderstood what God said because surely he doesn't want us just coming in here and, and cutting down all these, these women. That just doesn't seem right. So they must have had some kind of conflict that came up is all I could I could see. It doesn't seem that they deliberately intended to disobey God. But anyway, Moses is mad. Look, verse 8, verse 16. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the children, among the congregation of the Lord. So the ones they spared were the very women who were sent out, dispatched to the men to lure them in to sexual immorality and, uh, and idolatrous worship. And they had a hard time killing them. So Moses is mad at this. He said, the whole reason we are doing this vengeance is because of what they did. And the very ones who were used in this, you are bringing back into the camp? God was mad when you brought them into the camp before. Because they lured you in. They got, had you going to their feast, going worshiping their idols. And here, you're going to bring them in again. So he's mad. And they don't put up any fight. They say, oh, okay. Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones. See, they let the little one, the, the young boys, they let them live. Because they were little. Just like the young girls, they let them live. And the women, they let them live. Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify with, they go on with the purification rules. We can skip that part of right now. So they had to go back out and do what they didn't do before. And they went out there and did it. Didn't apparently give any fuss. Didn't complain. This is a whole different group of Israelites than we had before. They're, they're told to take a thousand from each tribe and just go down to battle with 12,000. Okay. And they go. Was there any complaint that we know of? 
Was there anyone saying, I don't know about this. This is a new generation. Before we had the plagues and the things were coming around that were affecting people and knocking people out and God was, was wiping out those, the evil generation, these are the young ones. Moses is about ready to go on. The people that are alive now are the people who are going on into the promised land. But kill every male. Get rid of them all. Those women, get rid of them. The young girls, all right, we'll let you keep them. I don't know that that was in the original intent. But anyway, it got revamped and they were allowed to do this part of it. So he says, take some. If you missed this part of the blank, numbers on Israel at this point were much higher than a thousand fighting men. They had more than that from each of those. But we were told of no complaints that came through all these, these folks. No complaints that came at all. So they took the captives. Probably shouldn't have taken the captives. Moses is angry. Now jump on down here. to You're going to see how this is just a different group of people. Verse 20. Purify every garment. Everything made of leather. Everything made of goat's hair. Everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything that can endure fire. You shall put through the fire and it shall be cleaned and it shall be purified with the water, water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire of you, you shall put through the water and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean and afterward you may come into the camp. So what he's saying is all the metal stuff, melt it down, purify it, and then you can use it. All the other stuff that if you put it through the fire, it would burn up and you wouldn't be able to use it, then wash it, get it all cleaned up and get it taken care of. It is pretty much assumed that the wooden idols and the things of that nature were not to be washed with water and to come back on over. I don't think they had to list that in there, but most of us could probably figure that out. They were part of the problem. They had idols. They had things that were using that. They should have been burned with the cities. And probably a lot of it was. I doubt that any of these folks brought these things back. But this is the purification that they're supposed to go through. Verse 25. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast, you and Eleazar the priest, and the chief fathers of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war, who went out to battle, and all the congregation. Two parts. So we're going to take all the stuff that we got, half of it goes to the guys who got it, and half of it goes to the folks who didn't do anything. How many of you are liking this? If you went out to battle, you went with 12,000 other guys, and you went into this battle, and fought and won and brought all this stuff back. You I mean that's a haul. You gotta haul all this stuff back, brought all this stuff back, and then Moses says, Alright, half of it doesn't belong to you. How many of you are liking this part? Anybody gonna start complaining here? No. <laughs> It'd be wise if we did not complain, but as far as we know, no one complains here. No one says that's not fair. They just divided it up. And levy a tribute for the Lord of the men of war who went out to battle. Look at this. Levy a tribute for the Lord of the men who went out to battle. If you wonder where the government got the idea of withholding taxes, it's right here. <laughs> no, I don't know if they did that or not. But that's what this is. Before you guys get any of the stuff, we're taking God's part. And it took God's part. One of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep. So of all the people that came, one out of every 500 went to God. Not in a sacrifice, it just went to, 
you know, Levites or the God server somehow. One of every 500 sheep. One of every 500 cattle. Whatever it was they had, one 500 of it, right off the top, one over to God. That doesn't count off as their tithe. This is just stuff that's coming off the top. They had to probably tithe off of that individually as they, they so got it. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were three different types of tithes that they had. And that would have been different. This is just a tribute to the Lord. Take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel, half you shall take one of every fifty. So out of the group, out of the other half, one of every fifty. That's ten times more that they're paying because they didn't do anything for it. One of every fifty drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep from all the livestock and give them to the Levites and keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eleazar, the priest, did as the Lord commanded Moses. The booty remaining from the plunder which the men of war had taken was 675,000 sheep. And it gives you all the numbers. And then it actually is going to list all that went to God. Now here's, we're just going to focus in on one thing. You can go on through here and focus in on the rest of the stuff. I'm just going to focus in on one thing because this one thing will show you the difficulty that is about to come up. There were 32,000 people who survived the killing that came back once they brought the booty on back. Once they went through and they killed all the women and all the young boys. There were 32,000 of the women who were still alive. So how many of them went to the, the men of war? The men who went out in the battle. 16,000. Now, 16,000 less one out of every 500. Now, I filled this out in your outline for you. If you want to write it in there, if you care about having this later on, you can fill this out and take a look at it. So, they had to, had a, had a fight over how to divide 16,000 less 32 among 12,000. How even does 16,000 minus 32 divide by 12,000? Now, you're talking about people here, so we can't give half a sheep. <laughs> you can't give half a person. That's a whole person. They're not cutting them in half and giving half to here, half over there. So you've got just under 400, I'm sorry, 4,000. 4,000 of these captives who have come in, who are extra. If you give one to every one of them, you got 4,000 extra. I don't know they've used them as servants. They used, they give them as wives to their sons. I don't know what it is they did. But anyway, beyond that point, you have 12,000 looking at 16,000 just of one item. How are you going to divide that evenly? Is there room for people to fuss and complain, murmur and fight and do battle? Sure is. I mean, they fought over less than this in the past. And we hear of no fights at all. We hear of no battles ensuing over the stuff because it doesn't, none of the stuff divides out evenly. And they did just fine. They didn't bicker and complain about God taking off the top. In fact, it's actually quite different from that. Let's go on down to verse 48. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the captains of thousands, the captains of hundreds, came near to Moses and griped, murmured, and complained. No, they didn't say that. And they said to Moses, Your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command, and not a man of us is missing. Therefore, we have brought 
an offering for the Lord. What every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eleazar, the priest, received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering, and they offered to the Lord from the captains of gold, and the ca- captains, excuse me, from the captains of thousands, and the captains of hundreds, was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself, and Moses and Eleazar, the priest, received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. So here's the attitude you got with these guys. After they went through and they did the battle and they saw God taking some stuff off the top, that was God's, and then they divided up the other stuff, even though it, it didn't divide out evenly, we don't know how they divided it beyond that, they all get together and they say, you know what? We want to give more to God. We looked around and not a single man died in that battle. They were probably outnumbered, but still, 12,000 went in, 12,000 came out. Not a single man died. We want to give more to God. Isn't that a different attitude than they had before? They wanted to see how little they could do for God. What a, what a, what a change we have here. But here's what we need to look at. Now we got the story underway. We understand what the story is about. We got to get into why is this whole thing here? Why are we told all these things in this story? Well, one, one more thing you got to fill out. They take note of how God blessed them and give thanks and more offerings. Very unusual for God. But who was right in the events of Numbers chapter 25? In those events where the children of Israel committed fornication with the daughters of, of Midian, who was right? in that situation. Was Midian wrong in that story? Yeah. Midian purposely went out to try and deceive, to try and coerce, to try and pull Israel into sin. They did it deliberately. They did it with every intent of bringing them into idolatrous worship. Are they wrong for that? They are wrong. Was Israel wrong? Was this just something that was done to them and, oh, poor souls? You didn't have any choice? They had a choice, didn't they? They could have said no. They could, say, they could say, we aren't going. We're not going to go with you girls. We're staying here. We're not going to the sacrifice. We're not going to the feast. They could have said all that. So was Israel wrong? At the time, in Numbers chapter 25, God does judge someone, doesn't He? Now, when you look at this story, just think about this inside, your, inside yourself. You've got one group of people who deliberately and purposely sent people in to coerce the Israelites into sin. And you got the Israelites who had no intention of sinning, but, were, but gave in to coercion and sinned. In your own estimation, who is the most wrong? I don't know about you, but if, if I'm my estimation, the one who's the most wrong, Midian. Nothing would have happened if Midian would have stayed home. Israel would have been fine. There would be no problem there. But Midian is the one who started it. So in my estimation, Midian is the most wrong. Of the two, Midian is the most wrong. They're both wrong. But Midian is the most wrong. Who got judged in Numbers chapter 25? Israel! Did Midian get any judgment at all? 
Nothing. The plague hit Israel. We don't read of a single Midianite who died in that plague. How many of y'all think this is not fair? Midian should at least been dying by the plague. And they shouldn't be able to... They didn't have a Phineas over there. So they should still be dying. (laughs) But that didn't go on that way. But the way we look at things is we look at faithfulness and we weigh it out and we judge it out and we say, this one is more faithful. This one is less faithful. God should judge this one. How many of you would look at it that way? Well, Israel wasn't completely faithful there, but they were more faithful than the Midianites. So God should judge and favor Israel. Isn't that how we would look at that? Isn't that how you would look at it? I would look at it that way. When Babylon comes and judges Israel, Israel was was wrong, they had uh, sinned, they were idolatrous, and Babylon is sent to judge Israel. Who was more righteous, Babylon or Israel? Israel was. Israel had at least some people in there that were following after God. Babylon had zero, none, until the... Folks from Israel, Daniel and that group got on over there. They had nobody over there worshiping God. That we can tell. But God judged between those two and Babylon was allowed to come in and execute judgment upon Israel, burn their city, brought them into captivity. So who did God judge in that situation? Israel, the one who was at least least a little bit more righteous. I mean, not a lot, but at least a little bit more righteous, and God used a completely unrighteous group to judge those who were not completely unrighteous. That just isn't fair, is it? But how often do we look at situations and we see the judgment, the hand of God come down? How many times have you looked at somebody, well, they lost their job. I guess their life isn't right. Uh Uh-huh. I can see the hand of God on something's wrong with you, isn't it, bud? I don't know what it is, but God just told me something's wrong with you. And we kind of just want to stay back. The plague might be coming soon here. Hmm. Move on back here a little bit. Now we can't always do that. When calamity happens on a person, how many times do we, we think that? And in this series, we've looked at this before, but over in the New Testament, doesn't Jesus say, do you think that the tower of Siloam that fell on those people, that they were more righteous or less righteous than the rest? He even brought that one up. Don't the, don't the disciples bring up the man who's born blind? Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? What's that mentality? If calamity happens, if something bad happens, it must be that they're not faithful. It must be that there's sin. It must be that there's something wrong. And even if I don't outwardly walk that way, don't I inwardly have something that goes on? Don't I inwardly begin to think things? Well, something isn't right. I don't know what's wrong with old Steve over there. Something's not right with him. Look at all this stuff that happened. Mm, I don't know. Because we're, we're used to judging that way. Well, in this situation, Israel goes out and now judges Midian. Do we find anywhere in this story where God says, all right, let's take a look. We got Israel. We got Midian. Hmm. Is Israel righteous enough for me to use them to judge Midian now. Well, you know, they are doing a lot better. Does God do that? No, He just says, Moses, it's time. Before you go into the promised land, we're going to take care of this situation. I've let this sit for a little while, but now we're going to take care of the situation. Why does God wait until then? I don't know. 
What's the matter? Why did God wait or leave Israel in Egypt for 400 years? Is it because Israel wasn't good enough? Israel wasn't more righteous than the inhabitants of Canaan? No, in fact, the longer He left them in there, the less righteous they got. But He left them in there for 400 years and God stated the exact reason why. Because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. They haven't quite hit the fullness of sin. I'm giving them still, still giving them some time. We're still giving them some time. Why was Jonah sent to Nineveh? Because God wanted to extend mercy to them, give them a chance to get out of the judgment that would come upon them. And they listened for a little while and short-lived and then they went back in their old ways and judgment came upon Assyria. Judgment came upon Babylon. They had prophets, they had people who warned them and they didn't listen to it. And judgment came upon them. Too often, folks, we are trying to find rhyme and reasons to judgments when you have no business at all even figuring it out. It is not your place. First off, God. Vengeance belongs to who? It belongs to Him. It is God's. If you find a brother or sister who's under calamity, under things that are going on, stuff that isn't quite right, don't sit back there and, well, I guess I know where your life is. guess I know what's going on with you. Don't sit there and do that. Love on them. Pray to God, Father God, and what, what can I do to help? And just listen to what God says. Whatever God says, do it. Get out there and do it. If there's judgment to become that comes on in, sometimes we'll have to execute that. We've got to look, we're going to look at some principles that are involved in that later on down the road as we study some more people who are doing this kind of thing. But why is God judging the Midianites now? What's He saying by this? He's saying the Midianites' time is done. I put up with them for a while, looking for them to turn, to make things right, and they haven't done it. They're still worshiping their idols. They still have that mentality of bringing other people down into their level. I've sent people to them. I've worked with them. They haven't listened. So now judge them. Get in there and wipe them all out. And they wipe them all out. Are bad things always a judgment? Bad things are not always a judgment. Folks, if bad things were always a judgment, how many times was Paul judged by God? I mean, he's out there in the boat and gets shipwrecked. I mean, we already know from the book of Jonah that shipwreck means God's judging you, right? As soon as they threw Jonah off the boat, what happened? No more storm. So that must be what it was. When Jesus encountered a storm, it must be because Jesus was having a problem. Should have thrown Jesus overboard. No, every one of those stories is different. Jesus had no problem. He got up and stopped the thing. The storm didn't come up because of any sin of the disciples because Jesus didn't even address that when He addressed the storm. He didn't say, get right. Judas, you've been stealing money. Get right now. Take care of it. Well, I'll wait here while you get it taken care of. He didn't do that. But we have this mentality that says, oh, if something bad comes on, it's because they did this and they did that and, and so forth. We looked about it on Wednesday nights. The goal of the enemy is to divert you and get you off of God's path. You get off of God's path, you will receive things that God does not want you to receive. Not all of those things are judgments of God, but they are results of being on the wrong path. But you can be on the right path. And how many know from Jesus' parable of the seeds? Some of the seeds fell on good soil. Some of the seed fell on stony soil. Some of the seed fell by the wayside. And each of those seeds, as they began to grow, encountered problems. 
the goal of the seed was still to grow. The potential for the seed was still to grow. Your potential is still to grow. But you got to make sure that you stand up against the scorching sun, the rocks, the thorns and the thistles, and all the things that that parable talked about. And you can do so. But stop sitting there and, and, wow, is this God? Well, I lost my job this week. Maybe God's trying to tell me something. Maybe God's trying to tell me to get my life right. And so you begin to, to have this soul-searching time and you start to dissect your life. Well, where am I missing God? I guess I need some fasting time. I need, I need to get out there and just find out what it was that I did. And the devil pulls you into fear. And you become fearful of missing God. Fearful of those things. God doesn't want you in fear. God wants to let you know that He loves you. If you have the mentality that bad stuff will come from God as a judgment upon you every time that you miss it, every time that you get off, you have a fear relationship with God. Don't have a fear relationship with God. God loves you. How many of you in raising kids or in helping to raise other people's kids look forward to punishing them? How many of you said, oh, I wonder if they will miss it today. I thought of a really good punishment last night. Oh, I can't wait to do this. Maybe they'll miss it today and I can try it out. See how it works. Did you ever do that? No, we didn't, but that's how we picture God. God's got these judgments. He's just waiting. Go ahead, go ahead and miss it. I'm, I got a good day going on today. I'm ready for you. Go ahead and miss it. Then we're waiting for God just to slap us silly. Come on, wake up. God loves you. God is, He cares about you. He wants to lead you into the right area. We get a picture of a God who spanks us into the right area. That's not God. And God does not have to judge between the most faithful and the least faithful. God can bring blessings upon those who are faithful and He can bring blessings upon those who are not as faithful. And God can do it if He wants to. you got to take the attitude that these folks had it here. When they came on back and God said, this is how you divide up the spoil, half of it goes to the guys who got it. you got to say, okay. Half of it goes to the people who did nothing. Okay. That's fine. And you'll be alright with it. But too often we get envious in the body of Christ. And we look at so-and-so over here, and they're getting blessed, and we start going before God, God, I'm faithful! I'm more faithful than they are. Why is it that they're being blessed so much and I'm not getting much? I don't think this is right. When they divided up the spoil, folks, we didn't hear anybody complaining. And it was not divided evenly. We didn't hear anybody complaining because there were 16,000 less 32 Divided amongst 12. We didn't hear that problem either. But too often in the body of Christ, we do that. We look at this one over here and we judge our faithfulness next to their faithfulness. But you see, you don't know what that person was up against. You don't know what that person was given to start with. Let God be God. If God wants to bless people who are less faithful than you, <coughs> glory to God. He'll bless you too. Just keep looking to God. God's going to bless me. God, Father God, I thank you. Your blessings are coming down on me. I thank you, Father God, that you have not overlooked me. That I'm, I'm not giving into those thoughts. 
you are a good God. You are a good father. And you love me as your child. And you just keep entertaining thoughts of that. But you see, the devil wants to try and work in wrong theology, wrong understanding of God. And you begin to think every time you get something bad that goes on in your life, God is slapping you on the wrist to steer you into the right direction. Oh, I wonder how I miss God. I must not be spending enough time praying. I must not be spending enough time reading the Word. I must not be doing enough for God. I must not be believing enough. I must be doubting too much. All kinds of things we come up with. And we're coming up with reasons for why all these things are going on and we're just being spun around. You need to be word-based. Base your decisions on what the Word of God said. Does the Word of God say you can be more faithful? Yes, it does. Then be more faithful because the Word of God said it. Don't be more faithful because brother or sister so-and-so is. Don't be less faithful because brother or sister so-and-so is less faithful and getting blessed more. At least it appears they're getting blessed more. Don't mess with it. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Just keep going to God. God, am I doing what you want? Am I going in the direction that you said to go? Am I staying with it the way you want? And you just keep staying with it. You keep on going. And you just, just keep on going that way. How many of you, if you were Moses, had a, would have a bone to grind with uh, the Lord? I mean, God, come on. I've messed up one time. How many times did these Israelites mess up? I mess up one time? Come on. And more was given to Moses. More was required of him. Are bad things always a judgment? No. Sometimes bad things are just storms. Sometimes bad things come upon you just because bad things come upon you. Because we're in a world where bad things come upon you. But glory to God, you got power. Bad things come upon you, go after it. Don't just sit there and take it. Go after the thing. Don't let that come over to you. Faithful and unfaithful people can be judged. Faithful and unfaithful people can be judged. If God tells me and God deals with me, He says, Steve, this is wrong in your life. This is going on because you're doing this in your life. It's a judgment from God. And I look to God and says, yeah, but so-and-so isn't even doing half of that. I don't see that happening to them. Can't do it. Do not fall into that. You don't need to fall into that way. Don't get confused because one person is blessed and one person struggles. Don't get confused because judgment comes to one house and didn't come to yours. Or it seems to have come to yours and doesn't come to someone else's. Just give glory to God. Just praise God. Keep on keeping on. Keep on doing what God said. Don't entertain thoughts. Oh, I can't wait for that one to get judged. I can't wait for this thing to... Mm, look at what they're doing over here. Oh, that's not right. This isn't good. Don't do it. Stay believing the Word of God. Stay faithful. God will judge faithful people. Why didn't Midian get judged when they did the thing? It's not for you to take care of. It's for God to take care of. God eventually came on through and judged them. And He took care of them. Why was Israel judged right away when they didn't do something as bad as what Midian did? is isn't for you to decide. It's for God to decide. If He clues you in as to why He's doing it, great. If not, trust Him. Just trust Him. But don't let it mess you up. If you focus too much 
on the bad things that are happening in your life and the bad things that are happening in other people's life or the good things that are happening in other people's life, you'll get distracted. you get moved off of the Word of God. That's why the Word of God, it's one of the reasons why the Word of God says don't be busybodies in other people's affairs. If they make it known to you, do they come over and tell you about stuff that's going on in their life, then help them out with it. But don't sit there and be busybodies with it. There are some people out there, especially in the Christian church, all they want to do is just, they spend time finding out, well, what happened with so-and-so? And what's going on there? And how's this going on over here? And what about over here? And what about this? And how about this? And how about that? Dear Lord, I've got a hard enough time keeping my life straight. We've got to keep our life straight. We've got to keep ourselves going. You can busy yourself in too many other people's affairs. You're going to be so caught up with what they are or are not doing that you have totally lost focus of where you are and what you're doing. If you can tell me right now 20 things that other people are doing that's wrong and more wrong than you are doing, you may be focusing on other people a little too much. Focus on yourself. Get yourself right. When God shows you something about someone else, go take it to them. After that, let it go. Let it go. Don't keep Don't sit there and mull over it. And say, well, they're not doing anything with it. They're, they should be doing this. It isn't for you. If you boy, I tell you what, if we just take that attitude in the body of Christ, we'd be doing a whole lot better. I don't know if you ever looked at this problem before and wondered about when was Midian judged and when was Israel judged and why was that? Because to us, to me anyway, this thing is backwards. Midian should have been judged first and then we'll deal with Israel. But I'm not God. Thank God for that, huh? <laughs> God is God. And He takes care of it. Take the blessings that are there. Go after them. If your life is being robbed of some blessings, don't look at it as God taking them away from you. Unless God tells you. Say, Father God, I thank You for the blessings that are coming in my life. I thank You that You love me. You care for me. And even as disobedient as Israel was all the time, they wandered into wilderness. You kept feeding them. Isn't that amazing? They'd get up and they'd rise up in rebellion against Moses, rebellion against Aaron, rebellion against God. And the next day, manna would fall. That night, the cloud would cover them up or the fire, the pillar of fire would cover them up and keep them warm. Throughout the day, throughout the whole time, they're sitting there grumbling and complaining about Moses and about this and about that. The cloud's over top of them, keeping them cool. you imagine a God who will keep you cool while you're grumbling and complaining? While you're disobeying His Word? And still have the fire lit up at night, keep you warm, while you're thinking of new ways to disobey Him for the next day. <laughs> what a God. He's something else. Father, we thank You. You are a great God. You show a great example to us of how to love, how to be faithful. We don't sit in Your seat. And Father God, we never want to. We never want to be one who sits in the seat of God and tries to discern who should be judged and who should not. For you are a God of mercy. Moses knew you were a God of mercy and kept continually appealing to that mercy, even though judgment should have been poured out. Father, we thank you that you are a God of mercy, that you extend mercy to us so often. Help us, Father, to not look at everything through the eyes of judgments, but to look at things through the eyes of mercy. For God desires that we move on to the right road, stay on the right path. It's not a God who dreams up ways to discipline us. But you are a God 
who loves us into the kingdom. You are a God who leads us. We thank you for the leading that you give us. We praise you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.